Welcome to Adapt Energy, a Pantech design podcast. As the world pivots to new forms of energy, now more than ever, it is critical that we explore new ideas and automated technologies to adapt to a changing energy market. On Adapt Energy, you will learn about these technologies and trends straight from the leading experts in the industry as we seek to answer a simple question. What is energy automation and why does it matter to you? Hey everyone, and welcome to Adapt Energy, a podcast from the home automation experts at Pantech Design. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, alongside Pantech CEO, Troy Morgan. Troy, thanks for joining me, man. How are you doing? Doing great. Having a having a good week so far. Can't complain. And the weather's been fantastic. This is like optimal solar time, which is <laughs> really fun to just watch the the data and, you know, and win, right? Yes. No, that's that's a great point. I mean, we've we've had nice sunny afternoons and that sort of thing. I, I hadn't even thought about it from that perspective, but I'm guessing there are days that are that are obviously optimal. And so you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, today's a good solar day. Absolutely, bring it on, right? So the the cool temperature coupled with the high degree of UV uh, coming from the sun and sort of where the sun's currently positioned mm-hmm. um, relative to at least for my house and and, and our panels, it's. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Like my system can generate, you know, 12.16 kW is what the the stamped amount, if you will, is. Um, I literally saw 13,500 watts on Saturday, I believe it was. It was pretty awesome. That's awesome. Uh, Saturday was just a, a beautiful, beautiful day. Now I, I'm. This is a, this is a recent thing that that we 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 did uh, here in the last couple of weeks. But are you are you pro uh, daylight saving? Because uh, we recently sprung forward. So is that something that uh, I, I don't know that you take into account at all on the solar side? This is not what the podcast is about, by the way. I'm just very curious. No, it, it, it's a it's a great topic, really. Um, no, I, I'm not a fan uh, uh, of it. I'm, I'm a fan of where we are right now in terms of the uh, the spring forward. This is this this I like. I don't like when we fall back. Okay. I think that's kind of ridiculous because you're you're dark at five o'clock. Yeah, I and hate that. and that's like that's when people are you know doing things with their kids like sports wise and you know all that stuff and it's terrible in my opinion to get done with your work day and it's dark. I just, I've always despised that. I, I would rather have a little bit of daylight so I can like do something with, you know, some sunlight out there. Yeah. So that's just my personal opinion, but. Well, like uh, here, I mean, you and I, we, we both live in North Texas. You know, it's still warm here all the way through the month of like October, you know, even into November most of the time. So like if I want to get home from work at say 530 or six and go outside and grill, like I need a headlamp. Right. Absolutely. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's another, it, it is, it's ridiculous. I think we should do away with it completely. And, it, and you know, especially nowadays. So here's another sort of uh, point to make about that. We're doing more and more online meetings all the time. And as much as I'd like to think everybody's got it all under control when you're spanning, uh, you know, four different time zones, if you will, we, we don't. And sometimes things get goofed. And especially if you're coordinating multiple uh, people, you know, and now you've added this extra layer into that as well that you have to deal with. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I understand time zones. We have to have those. That yeah. is absolutely necessary. But do we really need to be shifting the clock? I don't think so. So 
I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, hey, let's dive into our uh, our actual topic for the uh, for the podcast today. We're talking a little bit about rolling blackouts, and we're going to use that as a springboard to talk more about the future of energy and what that can look like for us as a society, for us as a country here in the United States. And so this is going to be a fun conversation. Now, as we dive in and talk about blackouts, Troy, uh, rolling blackouts specifically, this is something that we've experienced here in Texas very recently, just last month in February of 2021. Huge winter storm, you know, to conserve conserve power and reduce uh, the demand on the grid and that sort of thing. They had rolling blackouts and, and even just a quick Google search will show you that this is not an, a problem that's isolated to Texas or even California. Uh, if you just search rolling blackouts on Google, you see, you know, news stories about California, uh, Kansas, Louisiana, uh, you know, uh, lots of other states have experienced this. So just uh, give us an idea of what rolling blackouts are. Sure. So you'll find rolling blackouts, like you said, happening all around the United States. And and it's, it's unfortunate because it tends to be, be based on first line of defense against a uh, an improper predictability on demand. So what's what's actually occurring is something occurs like um, it gets really, really hot or really, really cold, or there's a drastic swing somewhere in terms of of temperature. And that causes everybody to either use their heat or, or AC excessively. And then you end up with a sort of a, a mistake made, if you will, on the probab or, or on the predictability of demand. And when that occurs and they start to see the the demand go go to a, I say they, when a utility company sees the demand rising at a rate that maybe they weren't prepared for or weren't expecting, and they're getting very, very close to tapping into their reserve, um, that's what can start to cause the need for the rolling blackout. There are other reasons, but that tends to be the primary one is a, a predictability mistake and then having to sort of catch up on the backside uh, in order to make sure that the whole grid uh, doesn't end up with a problem. There was a really interesting uh, article, I think it was from the Texas Tribune, that talked about how close Texas was to a total grid failure. I think minutes, maybe seconds away, uh, had those blackouts not been put into effect. But I I guess the question, and this is a two-part question, I guess, is it feels to me like they're becoming more common. Is that the case? And if so, why is that? That's a big question. It's a great question. And it's very difficult to answer because there's a lot of reasons. The variables are pretty vast in terms of why, you know, what I called out was sort of just one reason why, you know, rolling blackouts might occur. There's a lot of other reasons, but it sort of comes down to the fact that each sort of geographical location has different requirements in different situations. And there's just different things going on in different places of, of, of the United States. And this, unfortunately, again, ends to ends up being that first line of defense that, that they use. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. Here in Texas, we were, it was minutes away from uh, sort of, you know, total blackout. And uh, you look at places like California and they have their, their crazy wildfires and, and they have to, I mean, PG&E literally has to shut the grid down so that, so that they don't take on a higher degree of liability against what they're paying for insurance. It's, it's kind of an interesting thing that the insurance companies basically told PG&E, hey man, 
if you guys don't shut down power, we're going to drop you kind of a thing. And they'll have no insurance kind of, it's a, it's a terrible thing, but it's what they had to do. And then you look at other places like, um, well, I'll pick a little bit more on California. They're decommissioning an 18 gigawatt nuclear plant in the next uh, couple of years. That's a ton of power. Yeah. And they're freaking out right now, realizing how close they're getting to that. And how are we going to replace that power? You know, what are we going to do? And there, there's just so much happening in the, in, in the world of the utility, but also the, the world of the utility meeting the consumer. And, and I think that's, that's where the biggest challenge and change needs to occur is sort of in the middle or behind the meter to support the uh, the utilities uh, and also the overall end game of the United States and what we want to do in the future. So speaking of the future, what, how can we, I, I suppose, begin to tackle this issue? Because this does seem to be a, a large and pressing issue. And, and, and I'm, I'm sure that there are other factors that, that factor into it. Like we've talked about on previous podcasts, the grid is, is aging, you know, there's an increased demand. Um, we have severe weather, like what we saw in Texas. All of these things are kind of compounding on top of each other to create this one big, this one big problem. Where do you see the opportunity to then take steps to remedy this? I think with anything in life like this, where it's a, a, a long-term goal, it starts with education, right? It starts with us as consumers of power, understanding our impact. Once we understand our impact, we're going to be far more likely to seek opportunities to help. And, and, and the help is not just helping the world and, you know, the United States or the utility, it's helping ourselves, right? It's helping uh, our own use of power. You know, people don't realize, and then this goes back to the education, people don't realize how much power they use and how much power they waste and what the delta is between that. It's pretty astounding, to be honest. The, the phantom, what we call phantom loads in a home that are just there and on, they all add up. And once you're educated on what you could be saving if you were managing your power uh, a little bit better or looking at it a little bit more closely, man, it, it can change a lot. It can move the needle a tremendous amount. But we're not going to get there until we understand some of the fundamentals and some of the basics, right? So I'll give you an example. I have this, uh, this light in, above our uh, kitchen. Uh, we have a, like a, almost like a picnic table set up bench thing. And there's this big, beautiful light over it. And my wife um, really wants, you know, cool looking light bulbs. So the light bulbs are actually exposed. You can see them and being able to see the filament inside is kind of cool. It's decorative. There's eight of them and they are 60 watts a piece and they are incandescent. They are not LED uh, because she could not find an LED light that would give her the ambiance she was looking for. Mm -hmm. So that one light, it's 480 watts when it's on at full tilt. And I use that to help my kids understand what I like to call the power of a watt. 
meaning it's sort of a play on words, right? It's not, it's not just, yes, uh, a, a watt could be, you know, thought of as power or whatever, but uh, understanding the power of a watt, meaning that that one watt has some degree of meaning. And when you multiply it times 480, and then you look at the cost over a period of time, all of a sudden you can see that light as $5 and $60 and $500 over its lifespan kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. You start adding all these things up and it changes uh, your mindset. And what I do with my kids is I, I, they each have touch screens in their room that has energy information on them. And I, I take them to their room and I say, Hey, turn on the lights and look at this meter here. And they go, Oh wow. Yeah. That, that's a, that's a lot of power. That's, you know, 250 Watts or whatever. And I go now turn them all off. And they're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big difference. And then I show them the math and I talk to them about these things and how they all, how they all work together. And because of that, I no longer have to remind them to turn off their lights. They now understand the power of a watt. See, my wife is going to listen to this and, and, and realize that that's what she should have done, uh, you know, 10 years ago when we got married, that uh, that, that would have helped me learn uh, to turn off lights at the time rather than uh, 10 years of, of being angry at me. However, that being said, um, th th I think that's a really interesting concept that it all does start with education and educating the public on, on these sorts of things, because I, I think that that is a huge thing, because I think a lot of times it's easy to think, oh, it's just leaving on a light, you know, for a couple hours, even though I'm not in that room or something like that. But there there are impacts there and there are um, there are ways then that 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 impacts things kind of downstream and, and, and has a, a larger impact, I, I guess, um, in a sense, just not even just in your own home, but but outside of your home, which is which is interesting. But when we talk more about energy automation, which is a space that, that you play in and, and that you have a lot of expertise, how can that begin to uh, to also kind of bring about some change and, and create some uh, some new ways of, of looking at things and, and maybe help uh, help solve this problem further down the road? So when we get more intelligent, more educated, we're going to be more likely to seek out things that will help us manage our power in a much better way. And that's where the energy automation part of things really comes into play, because I don't think many people spend money frivolously unless they've just got more money than they than they need and they don't mind blowing it. I think most people are fairly pragmatic about how they spend their money and will spend money on things that they see value in. Right. So if you're educated on how a lighting control system and a shade control system and a climate control system and a pool control system can all be working together in concert with an energy automation system managing it, right? Then, and, and you understand it and you understand what it's doing for you and your lifestyle, you're going to see the value and you're going to be willing to spend a little bit of money on those types of things so that you can take that sort of hands-off approach and not have to necessarily worry about turning off the light because the home is smart enough to know that you're not in the room and the light should be off. Or maybe the home understands that right now is not the best time to charge the electric vehicle because we're paying more for our power during this peak period. Or 
maybe the system is smart enough to know not to cycle the air conditioner every 15 minutes because that has a much higher cost than leaving the air conditioner on for an extended period of time and getting the home nice and cool and then backing off on the set point and raising it five degrees and going for a span of a couple of hours without even running the air conditioner. There's so many things that an energy automation system can do that the consumer can be totally hands-off about, but they're not gonna be willing to, to, to take that leap until they're a little bit more educated about why and how this helps. And they will begin to see the value. And that's what I think is what we'll, we'll call the consumer transition of energy is, is understanding it better for themselves and then being willing to spend a little bit of money on systems that manage things for them in the future. Hmm. I think that's a I think that's an excellent point because I think the the conversation at least um, in, in certain parts of the country has, has gotten to the point where I think people want to know more and want to understand more and there seems to be this desire to know okay what what happened in Texas what has happened over the last several years in California what are the solutions here and I think there's there's maybe a greater appetite uh, amongst the general public to learn more and to learn more about uh, what we can do in certain circumstances to to be a part of the solution I, I think that's a I think that's a really good point and one of the other things we've talked about in, in the past Troy is this idea of microgrids and that um, that having you know that pairing solar with energy automation uh, can eventually lead to uh, to something called microgrids. Help us uh, kind of break down and explain what that is, what that looks like, and how this could also be uh, you know something we could look forward to maybe a little bit more in the future. Well, there are various uh, different forms of a microgrid, so we can talk about microgrid in in just within a home. So you can look at your own home and see that you can form a microgrid. And what that really means, it's very simple. It means that when you disconnect from the big grid, from the utility, and your battery, your home battery sort of takes over, it's forming a microgrid in order to achieve that. That's one basic form of a microgrid. Now, if you take that same principle and you add more homes, that is just a larger microgrid, if you will, against the bigger grid, right? So we, we like to look at, at that as a swarm, if you will, of batteries all working together in concert to supply power to that, say, community, if you will, that, that 300 home community. That same thing uh, can be considered if it can take power and supply it sort of back to the grid for people outside of the, the microgrid community, it now is considered a virtual power plant or a VPP where, where power can be supplied to the grid to help the grid uh, in those times of high demand. So I, I sort of see, it's gonna take us a little while, but I, I see this interesting shift happening, which I believe will take us about 30, 40 years, it's not going to be a, a, a quick thing. But this shift of today, we look at the utility and we buy power from the utility. And that's our sort of first line of defense for uh, obtaining power for our home, right? We buy our power from the utility. And then if for some reason, the utility goes down or, you know, power 
uh, outage happens, um, then we have our potential for use of solar as long as you have a home battery and then you've got your, your home battery, you know, powering loads in the home and things like that. In the future, I see that flipping. I see the home being its own sort of first line of defense. It's generating its own power. It's managing its own power. And it's, it's doing this in such a way to sort of keep itself as a contained environment. And then the second layer is not the utility, it's the community. So I might be a little low on power right now, and my neighbor might be uh, killing it and not requiring much power. And so we share that resource because we're, we're in the same sort of microgrid, right? And, and then if for some reason the community is needing some additional power, then it goes to the utility and we use power from the utility. Um, so it, it, it sort of changes uh, everything around and first line being home, then community, then grid, rather than grid, sort of community, and then home. That makes sense, you know, and I wonder because every time we have these sorts of conversations, I think about it primarily from from a homeowner perspective. But I wonder just how long you think, uh, and maybe how much how much public demand there has to be before we start to see architects, uh, contractors, uh, home builders, uh, real estate developers, people like that start to consider these sorts of things as ways to. Uh, Maybe as as a preferred amenity, I suppose, for new uh, new homes, new developments, new buildings, things like that. Do you see that uh, maybe becoming a reality in the next several years? I do. I, I absolutely do. And and we're seeing it happen right now with with certain developers and builders. Um, the the ones that are very forward thinking, want to be innovative, and sort of try to play a role in in the future of building smart technology into homes. Um, some builders and developers are not as excited about that because they feel like that's going to cut into their bottom line. Um, it's technology that they don't necessarily understand. But I think overall, if I had to take a wild guess, and it is a little bit of a guess, but overall, I would say at least 25% of the builders and developers out there are taking steps in, in this direction uh, because it's necessary. And it's also fed a little sort of their reasoning or, or, or desire to, to do this is also uh, driven by the consumer as well. And, you know, enough consumers ask, Hey, um, does this home come with an energy automation system? The builder is going to have no choice. They're going to have to find their way into that. Mm -hmm. And it's starting with solar, right? That, that, that tends to be we're seeing a lot of relationships, I guess, occur between builders, developers, and solar contractors now because the consumer is driving that and they're asking those questions at the design table, if you will. Hey, can we make sure this home is facing the right way so that we can have solar? It's a very interesting thing for a consumer to say. It shows that they've done some degree of education, like they you know, are educating themselves. They understand the basics of it. And now they're sort of forcing the the hand of the the builder and developer to dip their toe in and and you know if they want this consumer or this customer to buy their home they better do that you know they better uh, get on the ball it it all stems from education 
It really, truly does all the way around. And, and the more we learn, the smarter we're going to be about our next move. And, and the young kids of, of today uh, are truly the ones that are going to probably spearhead this into it being a normal thing to have an energy automated home because they're the ones that are going to be dealing with sort of the brunt of our decision making with respect to the grid and and how how we're doing what we're doing today. So there there's a, my my kids are taking classes. They literally have classes in high school now mm-hmm. for uh, energy. It's not energy automation, but it's just understanding energy. It's it's a really cool thing. They can they can actually take classes in high school. And so the more we see that, the more I think we're going to uh, experience change over time. Well, it's always uh, exciting to to look towards the future and to see where things are heading and um, and imagine what the future looks like. But uh, but especially in this area, I think it's uh, I think it's a lot of fun to discuss. And so, uh, Troy, it's always a blast when we get together and and, and uh, record another one of these episodes. I appreciate you joining me here for another episode of Adapt Energy. Absolutely, Tyler. Always a pleasure as well. Let's keep these going because we've got to educate everybody about uh, what's possible today and also where we're going in the future and the importance of it. That's a great point. And, uh, and for people out there, if you want to learn more about what Pantech Design does in the world of home automation and specifically in the world of energy automation, like what we've been discussing here on the podcast today, head over to PantechDesign.com. There at the top of the page, you'll see home automation, energy automation, contact. If you want to reach out and ask Troy or the team uh, there at Pantech Design any questions, use the contact tab there. But, uh, but you can learn a lot more about everything, uh, everything energy automation and what's possible these days uh, by going there and also by subscribing and listening to more episodes of the podcast we're going to continue to make episodes like this that uh, give you some thought leadership give you some idea of what's going on out there in the world and uh, and ways that it can be remedied as we move into the future so education is a is a powerful powerful thing we're going to keep rocking and rolling with the podcast and giving you more information uh, as much as we can so stay tuned for that subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts or spotify and we'll be back soon with new episodes but until then for troy i'm tyler we'll talk to you again soon